Hello, and welcome to Canine Conversations podcast, where we're positively obsessed with behavior. Join certified dog trainers as we discuss case studies, explore training concepts, and interview experts in the field of behavior. Today's episode includes myself, Marissa Martino, owner of Pause and Reward Dog Training in Boulder, Colorado, and Ursa Acri, a co-owner of Canis Major Dog Training in Denver, Colorado. Hello, everyone. Today, we're going to be discussing the eight problems with using treats in your training sessions. What? How is a positive reinforcement trainer shaming treats? Just stay with us. So any dog owner who has worked with a trainer or read pretty much anything about training is probably familiar with the concept of using food rewards or as trainers refer to it, food reinforcement. Um, Food reinforcement is a really powerful way to get and maintain the behaviors that we want from our dogs, but there is really an art and a science to using it properly. So if you've tried using food in training and thought this just doesn't work, make sure you aren't falling into one of the common traps that we're going to discuss today. So we're going to walk through eight different common traps and Ursa's going to start us off. So take it away, Ursa. All right. So the first and, um, you know, possibly one of the most common is that your treats are too low or even too high value. So dogs are individuals just like people. And what one dog values, another dog might not care for. So some dogs go really nuts for a dry biscuit while other dogs turn up their noses at literally anything that isn't real meat or cheese. <laughs> so the environment might also influence what treats work best to motivate your dog. So when generally speaking, if you're training in a higher distraction environment, that need, means you need to use higher value or better food treats. So a dog might work for his kibble at home, but on a walk uh, full of exciting smells, sights, and sounds, kibble probably isn't going to be enticing enough. Um, Once I had a student who absolutely insisted that her golden retriever loved blueberries, just absolutely loved them above everything else. And she showed up to class with a carton of blueberries and the golden kind of just dutifully took one or two until he noticed that the student next to them had bacon bits. And suddenly (laughs) he was hanging out with the guy with the bacon bits. (laughs) The blueberries were not that enticing. So you want to use the highest value treat that's needed in any situation to keep your dog motivated. Um, You know, we often in training use things like cheese, hot dogs, um, cooked meatballs, plain chicken or turkey, peanut butter, freeze-dried liver. Um, I love squeezed cheese, so that easy cheese that comes in a can. Anything that's like stinky, squishy, or generally high in fat and protein is likely to do the trick. Um, But keep in mind, dogs are individuals, and what one dog loves, another dog might not, the dog will tell you what is reinforcing to them. So if you, you know, again, just like my student, if you insist that your dog loves um, chicken and your dog is turning it up or not taking it very, turning up his nose rather, and not taking it very enthusiastically, um, your dog does not actually love chicken. (laughs) And so you need to let your dog tell you what's reinforcing rather than choosing that for them. So on the flip side of that, you can also have treats that are way too high value. And this can lead to a dog that's hyper-focused on the treats to the point where he's almost unable to learn. Um, I think many of us have tried to train a dog with like liver hot dogs and found that we can't get the dog to do anything but stare at our hands. So we call it Goldilocks level of treat where it's not too low value, not too high value, (laughs) just right. (laughs) 
Um, and another little anecdote, I had a client who was working on relax on a mat with her dog and she texted me and said, I can't get him to relax. He's just like almost trembling with excitement and he's upright and staring at me and definitely not relaxed. And I was like, okay, send me a video of you training your dog. And she did. And I noticed she was using hot dogs and I said, try switching to his kibble for training. And that literally immediately did the trick. And what was happening was he was so excited and so aroused by the presence, just the presence of the food and like what he needed to do to earn it, that he literally could not relax. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, treats that are too high value can create a problem in training, depending on what kind of arousal level we're going for. So you can also accidentally use super high value treats to kind of convince a dog to do something that he's not actually comfortable with. Um, And that can end up reducing your dog's choice and control in the long run. Um, And the same goes for dogs that are extra hungry. So if the dog is like absolutely dying to get the food, you're not really using positive reinforcement anymore because you're relieving the dog of his need to eat, which is negative reinforcement. Um, And, you know, that you'll hear some trainers or some people say like, oh, well, um, take away the food and make the dog hungry. So they're eager to work. And I generally don't recommend that kind of deprivation. Like, yes, if your dog is full, they're not going to be motivated to work. So maybe don't train right after they've eaten their entire breakfast. Mm -hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that you force them into like starvation mode just to get them to work for you. Um, if you're doing that in my mind, you're kind of doing it wrong. You're, you're sort of missing the point. Um, what you should be doing instead is finding ways to motivate your dog, whether that's more delicious treats or just waiting a little longer until he's not completely full or using other things to reinforce your dog. So, um, you can tell if your treats are too good by watching your dog's body language. So if his pupils look like giant black holes and he's jumping up and (laughs) grabbing at you or clawing at you, or he's holding his breath or isn't able, just so excited he can't respond to cues that he already knows it might be time to switch up your choice of reinforcer and try a variety of different ones. You know, again, you want to try to find what your dog really likes. So, um, Marissa, what do you think about that? Any thoughts about too high or low value reinforcement? Yeah, I find that, um, and this is great, that this is a great topic that we're talking about because a lot of people will say, well, my dog is not treat motivated or my dog is not food motivated. And, there's a pretty dramatic phrase, and I think, I think Jean Donaldson said it. She said something <laughs> like, well, if your dog wasn't food motivated, then he would die. <laughs> like like right. he, he actually needs to eat all the time. It's just that we have to figure out ways in which to um, find the things that are actually motivating for our dogs. I have one client right now. She, she uh, just recently um, rescued a puppy, and the 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 breeder had asked her to feed the same dog food that the dog was eating at um the breeders and what happens was is that when when the puppy got home we noticed that the puppy wasn't really like enthusiastic about the food but she had recommended that my client stay on this particular food for for 60 to 90 days just to like transition the puppy into the home mm-hmm. and what was interesting is that the puppy like continuously just was really not excited about this food. And I said to them, guys, he may just not like it. I mean, it could be as simple (laughs) as that, that he might not like this food. And 
So I said, you know, you can you can definitely speak to your breeder, but I highly recommend that we switch to something different to see if your puppy likes a different protein source or a different consistency or whatever it is. Um, and they switched him, and he's like going nuts over his kibble um, to the point where we're using it. We're using it for training. We don't need to use higher uh, value treats for you know just basic training basic around the training. house. We're actually using his his calorie intake for food. Um, and so I think it could just be just that simple that um, we have this old school idea that like we, we choose a dog food bag and then we just stick with it for the dog's life. And there's only that one option. And, you know, I think having a variety in your dog's life and a variety of reinforcers is only going to strengthen your dog's uh, behavior in general. So being creative and um, trying new things is is highly recommendable. Yeah, absolutely. And I like your point about, you know, people think they need to choose one food and stick with it for the rest mm-hmm. of their dog's life. And, you know, dog's tastes change over their mm-hmm. lifetimes. Um, I had a similar story with my um, 10-year-old Husky Malamute mix, and he stopped eating his kibble one day. And of course, being he's a senior, so my first thought was like, "Oh my God, something is wrong." Mm-hmm. Um, and so we went to the vet, and we did tests, and we, you know, um, we ended up he he got a completely clean bill of health, and we ended up just switching his food, and he started eating again. And I think it was <laughs> yeah, like literally just like, "Yeah, I, I'm, I don't like this anymore." Yeah, yeah. So just like humans, you know, I didn't used to like tomatoes or oysters or asparagus or mm-hmm. whatever. Like, I think dogs' taste buds probably change throughout their lives as well. And so assuming that the what's reinforcing to them now is going to be reinforcing in nine years um, yeah. might not be true. So. Yeah, that's a great point. I love that. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, what's what's our next one? Yeah. So we're going to move on to, to number two. So your rate of reinforcement is too low. So what does that mean? So rate of reinforcement is how fast you're delivering your reinforcement to the learner. So when learning a new task, dogs need lots of feedback on when they're getting it right. We do too as people. So have you ever learned from someone who wasn't giving you any information on how you were doing? Like if you had a if you had a boss or a teacher that just never provided you feedback and you had no clue what was working or what was not working, it's pretty frustrating. So frequent food reinforcement helps dogs understand that they're on the right path. So think of it as colder, warmer game. So rapid fire food treats, I call this like Pez dispensing, where you're just going boom, 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 and you're delivering uh, food really fast. You're basically telling the dog that you're getting warmer, you're getting warmer. While the lack of a treat lets them know that they're not necessarily, they're actually colder. So a sluggish rate of reinforcement tells the dog that the behavior you're asking for isn't worth much, so he's probably not going to offer it often. Depending on the behavior, you may be looking at a rate of reinforcement of once every couple of seconds in the beginning. Of course, you can stretch that duration as your dog gets better, but it just doesn't pay to be stingy at first. This is really important when you're training new behaviors. And I don't know about you, Ursa, but I find that um, my clients, um, they struggle with this concept pretty, pretty often because I think everyone's concerned about caloric intake and my dog's going to get full on treats and, 
you know, I don't want him to get chubby because he's in, because he's in training and people have a hesitation about delivering food pretty quickly and pretty rapidly. So what's your experience been with that? Yeah, I agree. I have the same experience with my clients. And I think that um, some of it is just that it's not a skill for most people until they learn it. So it's not intuitive to say like, oh, I'm going to give these boom, 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 um, you know, rapid fire treats to my dog. They think the dog does one behavior. I give one treat. The dog does another behavior. Maybe I pat him on the head, you know, so it's it's not intuitive. The skills that we have learned as trainers are not always intuitive to our clients. So I think that's part of it. But then, yeah, I think a lot of people either think that are concerned about the caloric intake, which can be adjusted for with either more exercise or reducing their, um, their uh, meals a little bit. Um, or I find a lot of the time they think, well, why should I be giving that much food? Like, shouldn't my dog just be doing it because they love me or shouldn't, yeah. shouldn't one treat be enough? And they don't think of it like we, like you described it. They don't think of it as feedback. And the one of the things that I tell them is the environment is competing for your dog's attention every single moment. So especially like if you're out on a walk or if you're at the dog park or if you're, you know, at a play group with other dogs or whatever, the environment is reinforcing your dog every single second with sights, sounds, smells, movement, um, other animals, you name it. Um, yeah, but so Ursa, if, our egos don't like that. Our egos, <laughs> our egos, we have been, our ego has been trained that our dog will love us and do anything for us unconditionally. And so I think that it's, it's such a wake up call for, for all of us to say, well, actually you're right. The environment is competing with everything. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's, it is. And so if we don't, if we don't give our dogs a reason to pay attention to us, we're going to lose out to all the other stuff that's happening around them that they want to investigate. So, you know, the other thing I think concern, that concerns people is that they're going to have to be a Pez dispensing machine for the rest of their dog's life. Yeah, totally. So I think it's important to understand the concept of lots and lots of feedback and encouragement when the, for a nascent behavior um, and then gradually increasing the amount of time in between that treat delivery as they become more fluent. So is that how, I mean, is that generally, you know, how you start to reduce that um frequency of reinforcement. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we'll link to this in the show notes. We, uh, you know, I also talk about, um, how to, you know, once we have behavior, like we we're feeling really good about the behaviors, how can we maintain reinforcement, but it's not food related. So how can we, um, you know, provide other types of reinforcers or sometimes trainers refer to this as life rewards to the dog so that we can maintain, the behavior, but we're not always having to walk around with the treat bag and smell like hot dogs and, and training actually becomes a part of your everyday routine. Um, and I, I think that that particular element is, is really crucial to, to not only maintain behavior, but to, to sort of incorporate training as a lifestyle instead of just this five minute thing that we do every day. Um, cause dogs will, will know when you're training and when you're not training. So we need to make sure that we're that we're paying these guys off all the time because you don't go to work and then suddenly 
not get a paycheck and continue to go back to work. So we, you know, we, we need to put our ego aside and we need to know that behavior needs to be reinforced in order for it to, to maintain. So, yeah. No. And you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I'm reminded of, oh gosh, <laughs> I'm reminded of a quote and I'm going to butcher it. <laughs> and I believe it was Kathy Sadeo. And she said something to the effect of um, no, no relationship was ever harmed by being generous with what the other individual wants, essentially. Oh, um, I love that. I know. And, and I'm paraphrasing of course, it. Kathy I'm, Sadeo. <laughs> right. She's Got the best. <laughs> so, um, so I'm totally paraphrasing. But anyway, uh, you know, you're not going to harm your relationship with your dog by being generous with treats. Yeah. The worst that will happen is you reinforce the wrong behavior. And if you're cautious not to do that and you're generously reinforcing the behaviors that you like, um, all you're going to get is better behavior from your dog. That's the worst that's going to happen. So, so yeah. However, um, if you're not setting your dog up to offer or get the answer right, most of the time you might be asking for too much at once and that's a criteria problem. So do you want to talk to us a little bit about criteria and making sure criteria are appropriate? So number three is your criteria are too high. And what we mean is that your dog may not be capable of what you're asking for. Think about how you would teach a toddler to write their name. You wouldn't sit them down and expect them to spell Alexander all at once. You practice the A first and then the L and then the E and so on and so forth. You'd be praising them and cheering them on each step of the way, going on to the next letter and the next letter. Dogs need that same approach. Tasks that involve multiple steps, duration, or distraction need to be broken down into small, achievable components with each one trained to fluency, meaning that they're happening um, very quickly. Reliably. uh, Reliably, that's another great word, before moving on to the next step. It doesn't matter how awesome your treats are. Your dog isn't capable of understanding what you want them to do the food isn't magically going to make this happen. So step two, your rate of reinforcement is too low. And then step three, your criteria is too high. Um, it reminds me of one of my favorite clients and her German Shepherd. She uh, did a lot of relaxation with this work, uh, with this dog. And she would hold the treat in front of the dog and he would leave it. And he would, she would hold it for like a minute. And it was this beautiful impulse control exercise that they would do together. And it would happen in the morning to sort of settle him down and ease him into the day. And then we moved to outside training where he, where we were teaching him some impulse control where, so, so he was not to be jumping up and greeting people really boisterously. Um, and unfortunately it seemed as though she was carrying the way in which she was training with him and delivering treats slowly with him and expecting his really calm behavior to translate outside and so she would, she would reinforce really slowly. And this dog was like, whoa, the trainer's here. I'm so excited. And he would get <laughs> way over the top. And her rate of reinforcement was too low. And her criteria was just too high. She was expecting the same behavior that was happening indoors when it was just she and the dog to happen outdoors when it was me, her, 
the environment, distractions were really high. So um, I felt like, you know, we, we, we talked about it and I coached her through it and she finally realized like, oh, wow, I'm just not paying off fast enough. I'm expecting too much and I'm not paying them off fast enough. Um, and it was this really, really great moment where she had to experience that. Like, oh, wow, he's pulling me and not necessarily paying attention to me. Why is he acting this way out here? But he was acting beautifully inside when it's just the two of us. So it's not a very um, common reaction for clients to understand that they're asking for something very different when they change the environment for the dog. So well, I'm sure you love... experienced this a ton, Ursa, oh, as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and I love that you say, you know, talk about rate of reinforcement and criteria being kind of two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. um, because if we look at a treat reinforcement as um, almost, uh, you know, sort of ending a piece of a behavior, right? So dog does a behavior, the treat comes and in, you know, in a way that's sort of saying like, okay, that piece of that behavior is finished. You it got your treat. done. For yeah, it. for sure. Yeah. I love that. And so a higher rate of reinforcement almost naturally prevents us from having criteria that are too high because we're reinforcing so frequently that we're breaking that behavior down into, into tiny pieces already um, and saying, great, you did it. Do it again. Great. You did it. Do it again. Great. For you did sure. it. Do a little more. So I, I think that they're very tied to one another. And mm -hmm. if you are careful to make sure that your rate of reinforcement is really high, you're likely not asking the dog for too much at once um, because you're breaking that behavior up into those little bitty parts. So yeah, two sides of the same coin for sure. And, um, and yeah, I think it's very, very important to be mindful of both, but definitely criteria, you know, <clears throat> um, unreasonable criteria is something I see very, very often. And yeah. I would say what happens a lot that I see that I'm sure you do too is um, we'll teach a little piece of a behavior. So maybe we'll teach like a downstay, right? And the dog mm -hmm. does like a two second downstay. And then the client goes, all right, I'm going to do this. And they put the dog in a downstay and they try to walk out of the room and count to 30, <laughs> you know, and, and they just we're, go from baby pushy, steps to like, you know, like we yeah. just, we, we want to see the progress. <laughs> and I mean, I've, I've been guilty of it too. For um, sure. You know, Me I, too. I'm like, why is my dog not doing this? And then I film it and I show it to other trainers and they're like, what? You're being too pushy. So, well, and yeah, I think um, I think the, a, a big part of the problem is that we understand what needs to happen. For you know, sure. we know exactly what the outcome is supposed to be, and we assume that the dog does too. Instead of kind of stepping outside of ourselves and going, "Does the dog really understand what's happening here? Or am I projecting?" Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that sometimes people then think their dogs are stubborn because they're not doing what they expect them to do, when mm -hmm. in reality, it's probably because they don't know what it is that you want them to do. Sure. Um, is, it yeah, a, sure. Is, it, is, it a, is it a what problem? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, um, yeah, we just need to remember that the dogs are learning and they're learning in a completely different language. So, you know, patience with that. Um, is, is crucial to helping them get it right. Mm -hmm. So the other thing, number four, um, that, it, you know, again, kind of ties into all this other stuff because it all ties together is, uh, your timing might be off. So in order for your dog to understand that food is reinforcement for a specific behavior, 
the behavior and the food have to have a consequential relationship, or uh, as we would say, a contingent relationship, meaning that the food needs to promptly follow the behavior. And it needs to happen pretty consistently, if not every single time. Um, but if the food appears before the behavior or too long after the dog performs a desired behavior, the connection just isn't going to be made. Um, so using a marker or a bridge can help give you a bit of a buffer. Mm -hmm. um, so a marker is just a signal that means, great job, food is on its way. And what that does is it gives you a couple of moments to get the food to the dog's mouth. And in our show notes, we're going to have more information on how to teach a marker. But um, marker or bridge training comes from, uh, you know, work that was done first with marine mammals, where if you have your learner in a big pool of water and you ask them to go out and do a behavior, maybe like jump out of the water and do a flip, um, you can't get the treat to their mouth at the moment they do the behavior. It's just too difficult. Um, so you need to have a way to say, oh, that behavior you did 10 seconds ago is what I was looking for. Come on over and get your treat. And that's what you're, you've earned the treat for. And so this helps us a lot in dog training too, because um, just from a, a handling perspective, it can be really difficult to make the food happen at the very moment the behavior happens. And so that marker, like a clicker or a word or with deaf dogs I've used, visual signals like a flashlight or a thumbs up, um, any small um, sort of discrete uh, visual or auditory signal can be a marker or tactile even can be a marker. But that marker helps tell the dog exactly what behavior earned them the food. And mm -hmm. so if your timing is off, you might be rewarding a behavior that you don't intend to reward. Um, so, for example, you ask your dog to sit, they sit, you're not using a marker, but you go ahead and you reach for your treat pouch and then the treat meets your dog's mouth as they stand up. They might interpret that as I got the treat for standing back mm -hmm. up and not for sitting and that's not what we intended. Yeah. So messy timing or sluggish timing can definitely affect um, what behaviors are reinforcing and so what behaviors your dog is offering and how you perceive how well the training is working. So, so um, just to recap, so far we've discussed, uh, number one, your treats are either too low or too high value. Number two, your rate of reinforcement is too low. Number three, your criteria are too high. Number four, your timing is off. So all potential things that might be standing in the way of your success with training with treats. So let's move on to our last concepts. Marissa, you want to start sure. us off with our final four? So number five is your dog is too stressed. So we hear this a lot. I tried to give my fearful dog treats when strangers came over, but she wouldn't take them. Food doesn't work. It's not that the food won't help with this behavior. It's more likely that your dog is just too stressed to eat at that moment. So have you ever been stressed about an exam, a work project, speaking in front of a group, a uh, medical diagnosis, anything else that caused you to feel nauseous and unable to eat? This is a physiological response that we know dogs can experience as well. So when a stressor is too great, a lot of the times dogs can refuse to eat. So there's, there's two options here. One is... Let's say your dog is fearful of the sight of people and you are trying to say that, hey, every time we see people, they predict hot dogs rain from the sky. But let's say instead of hot dogs, 
you're using kibble <laughs> and your dog's just like, yeah, I'm not really pumped about kibble. And I, I, especially I'm not really pumped about kibble in front of, in front of people. So you want to make sure that you're using a high enough reinforcement or high enough uh, association to help that dog understand that people predict really good things. So that's number one. Number two, you might be exposing your dog, and this happens a lot of the time, if you're trying to help your dog understand that a specific stimulus is actually a positive thing for them, you might be exposing them where they're over threshold, like we were talking about earlier, where they are too stressed to eat. So um, I had a one client that uh, a previous trainer she told them to go to the Whole Foods parking lot in Boulder, Colorado, which is probably one of the most annoying <laughs> parking lots in the country. Um, I know exactly which to, one you're talking yeah, about. <laughs> to, to socialize their, their extremely fearful dog to people. So this would be like taking somebody that has social anxiety and dropping them into a frat party. So, um, this was really, really, really too much for this dog. The dog was over emotional threshold. She was not taking food. She was darty, very nervous. And then ultimately the clients became very nervous and then, uh, they wound up leaving, which actually was a really, really good thing, but then they never knew what to do instead. Um, and so I think it's, it, it's, it's important that we're using the right reinforcement um, but it's also more important that we're making sure that the dog is having a good time when we are counter conditioning them to whatever it is that they're being exposed to. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. So what are your thoughts, Ursa? Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree. And I think that there's a difference between if your dog, well, I think a good question to ask is what does your dog normally love? So what do they normally just go nuts for? And if the answer mm -hmm. is hot dogs and you're giving them hot dogs and they're not eating the hot dogs, they might be too stressed out. Mm -hmm. um, if your dog normally doesn't go that crazy for kibble and you're trying to offer kibble in a potentially stressful situation, it might, it, your dog might be stressed, but it might also be that you're offering something that's not high enough value. Yeah. So mm -hmm. you kind of have to um, read, your, read and know your dog, which all mm -hmm. pet owners know their dogs. It's just sometimes they don't think about things in this context. Um, but uh, comparing what your dog is doing in the moment to their baseline is a good way to assess, are they stressed out right now? Are they not mm -hmm. doing what they would normally do because this trigger is present? And if that's the case, then the trigger needs to be less intense for sure. So, yep. um, so our, our next point, number six, is going to sound really, really obvious. Um, your dog is just full. Sometimes treat training doesn't work because your dog is full. And <laughs> it sounds really just, you know, like a super duh moment. Yeah. But totally. Not rocket science. <laughs> right. But so many of us think of our dogs as like bottomless pits who will just eat and eat and eat, never stop. Um, and while this may seem true, um, in pretty much, you know, in most cases, dogs can and do satiate eventually. So if you think about like eating a big Thanksgiving dinner, you might love mashed potatoes and you might eat until your stomach hurts totally not speaking from experience here. Um, <laughs> at some point you're going to refuse another helping because you're just too full and your body is saying, oh my gosh, no, stop. <laughs> um, 
So to help prevent this, keep your training sessions short. I would say five to 15 minutes at the most. Um, and then just use really small pieces of food. I try to aim for no larger than a pinky fingernail. Um, that's sufficient for most dogs. And then even smaller pieces are effective for tiny dogs. Um, so, you know, tiny treats, especially because you want to try to keep your rate of reinforcement really high. Um, and uh, you can also explore other treat options like lick sticks or licks of peanut butter, or again, you know, your dog's actual meal of kibble mm -hmm. instead of feeding them the meal and then adding treats for training, just train with kibble and you can drizzle it with chicken broth to make it more exciting. Um, those alternatives aren't going to fill them up as quickly, but um, you know, I, I struggle because when I see clients, it's for an hour at a time. And we're, of course, trying to, you know, maximize our time and pack in as much training as we can because I'm there and it's not practical for me to see clients 15 minutes at a time. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the times the dog gets full and they're just mm -hmm. like, oh, no more. I'm done, which, you know, I aim I aim not to have that happen, but you know, it, it does sometimes. And so if your dog seems disinterested in, in what you're offering, it might be time to take a break and just let them kind of relax and digest and, you know, take a food coma nap and then try again a little bit later, but yeah. short sessions. And then I like, you know, training throughout the day, uh, a la smart times 50, which kind of spreads the treats out over the course of the day. And we've discussed smart times 50 in, um, in another podcast and we can link it in the show notes as well. Yeah. But that kind of helps spread out the food reinforcement throughout the day. So, yeah, I love that. Yeah. So next, next point. So our Ed, next that one's one. pretty straightforward. Yeah. He's full. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, our, our next one is actually kind of a duh moment too. So, so <laughs> number seven, your dog just isn't that motivated by food at that moment. So maybe what your dog really wants to do right now is chase a ball or play tug or cuddle on the couch or sniff where a squirrel just was. Mm -hmm. So dogs aren't machines and their needs and desires change from moment to moment. This is something we need to be paying attention to. So have you ever really wanted to see a movie, but your partner or friend suggests a baseball game instead, or maybe even a hike? You may be perfectly amenable to the baseball and hike most days, but you had your heart set on dark theater, popcorn, and surround sound. You simply weren't as motivated by the other activities at that moment. So the same can be true with dogs. So it's super important for us to be paying attention to that inventory of what are, what are the things that our dogs love and need and want access to. And like we mentioned earlier, uh, we will link to um, resources regarding life rewards. I had mentioned earlier in the podcast that life rewards are things that your dogs need, want, love, re really enjoy. And this is not just food. Um, and so I think it's important for us to be creative in our training sessions and be willing and ready to reinforce with things other than food. So they're not always going to be bottomless pits, like Ursa mentioned earlier. And uh, they're, they're going to like other things outside of food. And it's up to us to make sure that we are aware of that. And, you know, I personally feel like this is one of the most egregious mistakes you can make in training. And I hear it all the time. Um, and what, what I hear most often from clients is, um, my dog goes nuts when we see X, Y, Z on a walk, squirrels, bunnies, other dogs, people, mm -hmm. whatever. And I tried getting out a treat and distracting him with a treat and it didn't work. 
And what's happening is you're either the trigger is too intense Mm -hmm. um, and the dog is worried about it and the food isn't overcoming that worry in the moment or the distraction is too intense and Mm -hmm. it's competing with the food and it's, and the food is losing out. And I really think this is a a, a horrible misuse of food. Um, and a big part of the reason why training with food gets a bad rap is because people are misusing it in those situations where, um, you know, they're, they're whipping out a piece of hot dog and expecting that to compete with chasing a squirrel or, you know, um, or the dog feeling like they need to, uh, have a defensive display towards a threat or whatever. Um, that's not how food treats work. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you need to take several steps back from that situation and say, okay, how can I break this behavior down to its component parts? And where, what's the least, the smallest behavior I can get from my dog that I want and how can I reinforce that? If, If you can reinforce that with food. So maybe, you can go 50 yards away from the squirrel where your dog notices it, but they haven't lost their mind. And you can reinforce with food flicking an ear towards you or turning their head towards you. Um, great. But if you can't, you need to find a different way to reinforce the dog for doing what you like. And, you know, that might be teaching them to chase squirrels on cue, which works really well for a lot of dogs. And I've done with some mm-hmm. dogs with great success. Um, but I think to say, well, I tried using, I tried waving a piece of food to compete with this huge distraction or this huge trigger and food doesn't work is completely unfair because it's a misuse of how you're supposed to use food in training. And Mm -hmm. then I also wanted to add really quick, one thing that I love, I love this so much, uh, that Kayla, our podcast partner, who's not with us today, but Kayla from Journey Dog Training says, your treat doesn't have to be better than the distraction you're calling your dog away from. Your relationship does. Which yeah, is I love that. Good shout out to like Kayla. Mind blowing. I love that so much because what she's saying is that if you have this solid training relationship and reinforcement history with your dog, and you work together um, with your dog so that you're you know you're getting the behaviors that you want, and it's you know the dog is getting what they want and need, and you have a give and take. Um, your dog is going to come back to you when you call them or or pay attention to you when you ask them, not because you have a piece of hot dog in your hand. They might go ahead and take the hot dog, but what they're motivated by is that relationship that you've built with positive reinforcement and giving them choice and control and all these other awesome things that we do um, when when we train with our dogs. So, you know, the food at that point becomes just sort of like a bonus. Yeah, cherry, cherry on the cake. The, the hot dog on the cake. <laughs> yeah, the hot dog on the cake. I know. I was like, cherry on the cake? I don't know about that. <laughs> Love that. So yeah, if your dog may still be somewhat motivated by the food, but what you really want over the long term to motivate them is the, the relationship that you have with yeah, them, totally. which kind of ties into our last point. Um, number eight, my dog only performs when they see the food. They only do what I ask if I'm holding a treat in my hand, waving it in front of their face. <laughs> or if they see someone wearing the treat pouch or et cetera, et cetera. You know, we've both heard this many, many, many times over. (laughs) Totally. Um, Or if they hear the crinkle of the treat package. Um, So this is actually an error in technique and not a problem that's inherent with using food itself. So the same thing can happen if you're using a tennis ball or a tug toy or any other reinforcement that... um, the dog might want. So if you're not careful about making the sight of the food irrelevant, 
your dog might learn that treats only happen when they see the treat pouch or the food or the, the package of treats. And so the contingency is wrong. The do- in the dog's mind, the contingency is food appears, I get food instead mm-hmm. of I do behavior, I get food. Mm-hmm. So there are a couple of ways to prevent this. And the first is have the food out often, all the time. So wear your treat pouch around the house, leave the bag sitting out where your dog can't reach it, of course. So don't encourage counter surfing, (laughs) but where they can see it, but not get to it. Um, Get your treats out of the fridge and then put them back. Just generally handle the treats without delivering your dog any. And your dog is going to learn eventually that just because the food is around doesn't mean that they get any. Mm -hmm. Um, And then second, you should be producing treats for good behavior, even when none of those visual cues are present. So um, I tell clients to keep kind of little stashes of treats in different areas around the house, again, where the dog can't reach them, um, so that they can kind of catch their dog doing something good and reinforce it. And in the dog's mind, it's like the food came out of nowhere. So again, the dog learns that the contingency isn't food is present, I get food. It's I do behavior, I get food. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are just a couple of ways that you can sort of make the sight of the food irrelevant. What, do you, what other ways do you like to tell people? I tell folks to like go to Home Goods or something like that. And I'm like, buy, <laughs> buy cute little tins or, you know, like something that's like aesthetically pleasing that you're going to want to have in your living room or, um, and, and put, you know, freeze dried liver or, or whatever ar- around the house so that you have access to it. But I do also, going back to what Ursa was saying earlier when we were talking about mark, having a marker, um, that, that marker, whether it's a clicker or a verbal marker, is really important where you can mark the dog for doing the behavior and then it buys you time to like run into the kitchen, grab a treat from the treat counter or the pantry and then be able to deliver it. So you don't have to have the food on you. That's a a huge misconception for folks. They think they need to be holding the treat right in front of the dog's nose in order to to do it so that their timing is good. We Mm -hmm. want your timing to be good uh, surrounding the the marker, marker, not necessarily with the food. The the marker is that promise that food is coming. So you guys can, can sort of... Uh, kick back and make sure that you don't have to have the food like stapled to your, <laughs> you're not wearing the treat bag all the time. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's sort of like the, the condensed dog version of, Hey, you got good grades. We're going to go get ice cream later. <laughs> yeah, totally. totally. I love that. <laughs> but that, that time, that amount of time in between the behavior and the reward is too long for dogs, but they can handle a few seconds or few enough seconds, time for absolutely. you to go. Yeah. They can handle yeah. enough time for you to go to the fridge and get their treats or to the canister. I, I always envision, you know, those big vases that people put like the sea glass in oh, and then pretty. stick dead flowers. I'm like, you should do one of those, but with dog treats. Oh my gosh. Hilarious. <laughs> and then stick your flowers in the yeah. top. <laughs> so yeah, keeping treats handy so that you can get to one within a few seconds, but you don't yeah. have to have it in front of the dog. Um, when you're exactly. asking for the behavior. Great. So to recap, we've discussed eight points today. So number one, as a reminder, your treats are either too low or high value. Number two, your rate of reinforcement is too low. So your delivery of treats is not enough. Number three, your criteria are too high. You're just asking too much for your, from your dog. Number four, your timing is off. You might be reinforcing something you're not meaning to. Number five, your dog is too stressed. Number six, your dog is full. 
duh, right? <laughs> uh, number seven, your dog isn't motivated by food in that particular moment. And lastly, number eight, your dog only performs when the food is visible. So if you've tried everything and the food still doesn't seem to be working, consider which of these factors might be at play. Um, it could be several in one situation. You could be doing several things, um, or you might have different issues kind of across settings. So you might have one problem in one scenario and a different problem in a different scenario. But regardless, being more savvy with how food is used in your training can literally make the difference between stalling mm -hmm. out and totally maximizing the amazing power of food reinforcement and training. So we want to wish you a bon appetit. <laughs> <laughs> so we also want to ask, uh, as sort of an action item for those of you who are listening, which concept are you going to focus on for your dog in your training? So thanks so much for joining us today. I'm Marissa Martino, owner of Pause and Reward Dog Training in Boulder, Colorado. You can find me online at pauseandreward.com. And I'm Ursa Acri, a co-owner of Canis Major Dog Training in Denver, Colorado. You can find us online at canismajortraining.com or at our training center at 601 Bryant Street in Denver. So just as a little action item for you today, if you're listening, we want to know which concept are you going to focus on for your dog in your training? Give us a shout at hello at canineconvos.com and let us know. Before we go, be sure to subscribe to Canine Conversations wherever you find your podcasts. You can find episode notes and bonus materials at canineconvos.com. Our theme music is called Funny Song, and it's provided royalty-free from bensound.com. Our audio is mixed and edited by James Eady at beheard.org.uk. And our logo is from Walker Hooper. You can find his work on Instagram at walkers underscore username. Mm -hmm.